are listening to Lightning Strikes Thrice, a Final Fantasy XIII series game club podcast. This is episode three, covering chapter four, and I am your host, Chris Taylor, and with me is... This is Graham Marcuson. And I'm Matt Marcus. Well, when we last left off, we had finished uh, chapter three, and the last event data log to get us back up to speed with where we are reads... There is no doubt in Snow's mind. They may be pulselessy, but there is no way they can be enemies of Cocoon. Sarah's last words before she turned to Crystal are proof enough for him that their focus is to defeat Ragnarok and protect their world. Snow stays behind to defend his trapped fiance after Lightning and the others decide to continue onward. Brought to his knees by wave after wave of Psycom soldiers during a protracted battle, the desperate young man is suddenly overcome by a strange phenomenon. The twin sisters of Shiva, Siri, and Nyx appear before him in a blinding flash of light. They easily dispatch the remaining troops and, turn, and then turn on Snow. He manages to defeat the icy Adolons, but is soon captured by an unfamiliar sanctum unit. A striking woman accompanies the soldiers, a woman with a Lassie brand. Meanwhile, try as they might, Lightning's group cannot shake their determined pursuers. Crippled by enemy fire, their airship plummets toward the ground towards Chapter 4, The Vile Peaks. The heroes uh, wake from the crashed ship. There's a very belabored scene of the crew recovering from the crash to prepare for a fight with what turns out to be a very unimpressive group of three pantherons. Uh, yeah, it's just I they they really like hammer this home that people are are getting ready for a big fight, and it just tends it's the easiest. The scene is longer than the fight. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really the weird balance. After the battle, the others are exhausted, but not lightning. She knows that they're being tracked, and she wants to keep moving forward. Saz and Vanille are too tired, but Hope follows Lightning. When Saz and Vanille get going, they try to follow Lightning and Hope, but the bridge collapses before they can cross. The game will separate the characters often in these chapters moving forward to create different class pairings. And I, I find that this allows for the player to get used to the skill differences between the characters, because even with characters with the same class won't have the same skills for this early part of the game. Mm-hmm. So uh, Vanille continues to maintain her uh, token optimism, uh, even though they got separated. The game flashes back to day 11 at Bodum. There's a Bodum fireworks display. Vanille is seen walking around. As she looks up at the fireworks, she does a little a weird... She does that like weird, weird prayer gesture that's a mix of like a traditional Christian prayer and like the devil's horns. It's a, No, it's a Wu-Tang. She's doing the Wu-Tang. We got it. <laughs> oh, Makes me like her more, I guess. No, it's not. Don't worry about it. <laughs> All right. Pulse of C ain't nothing to fuck with? I guess not. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to get that joke out. Anyway, go on. Shame on a Lassie <laughs> who tried to run game on a Falsy. <laughs> oh, anyway. Assigned to security detail during the fireworks display in Bodum, Lightning is suddenly released from duty by her superior, Lieutenant Amadar. Thycom had found something in the nearby Vestige. Lightning immediately thinks of the accident that took place at the energy plant six days earlier. Voicing her concern that 
The incidents might be pulse-related. Lightning's questions were deflected by the Lieutenant Amadar, who advised her to avoid anything that involves the lower world. Oh yeah, Amadar also congratulates Lightning on her 21st birthday tomorrow. The flash forward ends and we are back to the present, and Lightning and Hope traverse the unforgiving Vile Peaks. Early on, there's a fight against three watch drones that before long utilize an electro kick attack that lands for high physical damage. Chances are the only way you can uh, survive that is if you wind up switching over to Hope and using the uh, protect ability. Synergist roll, very useful because Hope can learn shell and protect, which uh, each lower magical or physical damage respectively by 33% which is less than previously, but a lot by this game standards because you have other damage mitigation in Sentinels. And in Lightning's Ravager Tree, she can learn Spark Strike and Aqua Strike, which are a strength-based elemental attack. Later on, the player fights a Pulsework Soldier. These enemies have high defense, so the player must stagger the enemy to kill it quickly, and that's that's a trick we'll see frequently throughout the game. I like that the enemy opens up. It yeah, he lifts up from his like torso area and you can see a little spark, you know, glowing in the center of him and it looks pretty cool. It's visually interesting and it helps you more easily tell that his uh that the stagger has been triggered. These things are real suffering when you switch over to Assassin Vanille. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We start encountering groups of enemies that are currently fighting each other. When you enter the battle with these mobs, you start with a preemptive strike. The enemies will have partial health and neither side will attack you until you attack them. In these battles, you want to prioritize the the greater threat, which isn't always the beefiest enemy. Uh, some of the battles here, you'll be, you'll see uh, like a Pulsework Soldier against three Watch Drones, and the Watch Drones are actually more dangerous if you leave too many of them alive. So you really have to sort of prioritize where you want to uh, attack first or who you want to trigger their stagger first. Lightning and Hope arrive at a big wall of junk, Lightning explains to Hope that the Purge was Psycom's doing, and she elaborates that Sanctum's military forces are split into two factions, the Guardian Corps, which is a general security force, and Psycom, which is a commando group that handles all things Pulse-related, and that includes the Purge. So yeah, the police have the military-sounding name, and the military have a police name. (laughs) Ironic. It is odd that Lightning was purged when she was part of the Sanctum military, Hope asks about that, and she mentions she did it for Sarah, and the story flashes back again to day 13. Yeah, in the flashback, Psycom is purging people out of Bodom. Some people try to run, but, like, they get shot. Uh, Lightning arrives and causes a bit of a scuffle when she suddenly quits Guardian Corps. She hands in her gunblade and everything. Lightning enters a line to be purged. Zaz talks to her and wonders what's up. Lightning is clearly up to something, and Zaz follows along to see what kind of shill she'll bring. As Hope and Lightning talk some more, Lightning reveals her philosophy. Sometimes it isn't a matter if you can or cannot do something. You do it because you must. Which is like a badass philosophy, I think. It's very Yoda-esque. Yeah. (laughs) Then Lightning jumps away, leaving Hope alone. I get the feeling that Lightning was expecting Hope to follow, and that outright abandoning him would first uh, force him to scale the wall, but that's not what happens. Yeah, like all children, Hope is disappointing. (laughs) So then the game switches focus onto Saz and Vanille. Uh, The game just gives us a tutorial about uh, the synergist role. Unlike Hope, Saz's buffs are offensive-focused, 
He starts with, I think it's bravery, uh, then learns faith and vigilance. So bravery and faith are basically uh, increase your strength or your magic and vigilance reduces interruptibility, I think. And maybe the odds of status infliction. Yeah, I believe. Uh, no, veil is status affliction. Oh yeah. yeah Vigilance yeah. is success of your skills and likeliness to be reduces your likeliness to be interrupted. So if you're doing a a debuff or something, you're more likely to land it. The game also takes the time to explain some enraged enemies. Overall, the this part with uh, Saz and Vanille is troublesome because you don't have a commando, which generally means that you'll be using Vanille's saboteur role to slow down the stagger bar. They're less good than Commando at doing this, but Saboteur can also slow down the uh, stagger meter drain. There is an issue that the when the AI controls your Saboteur, it only uses the debuffs on the enemies who are susceptible to them and haven't had them applied yet. So if you're fighting like a pulse work warrior that already has a uh, D shell and D protect, Vanille won't do anything to it. And uh, attempts to raise the stagger generally will fail because the stagger bar goes away with too fast with just Ravager decks. What I wound up having to do is doing, uh, I always started off battles with Saboteur, Ravager, land one debuff, the Ravager gets their full string off, switch over to double Ravager, do a full hit, then switch back over, and hopefully they're already staggered so we can just do Ravager and Commando. Oh, wait, we don't have Commando yet, but we get it. Yeah, and they don't explain... I don't know if they explain anywhere that Saboteur acts like a mini commando no, when it comes no, to... No, they do not. <laughs> no, it is like, when I first played this, this part was much more difficult. And when I, I found out that the Saboteur does a similar thing to the commando on the on the stagger decay, it became much easier. I, I usually let a whole string of, of debuffs go through. Yeah, you're... <sighs> The AI is not very smart in this game because medics will also do nothing if everyone is at full health. Mm-hmm. Not very helpful. I don't know if you're a saboteur and you're trying to, say, deshell an enemy that if you try to deshell an enemy that already has deshell, whether or not that still counts towards the, you know, the sta- against the stagger decay. Yeah, it does add maintenance. Okay, so so you'd still want to do it. Yeah, you always have the option of basically reapplying it and restarting the timer. Gotcha. Generally speaking, uh, early on, the party AI is not very good. So, like with your, uh, with like your elemental strikes, right? At this point, like uh, lightning had almost like fifty percent more strength than magical attack, mm-hmm. but they always go uh, spell strike strike spell, just cutting fifty percent of my damage when I'm not in control of lightning. It is not very good. That's interesting. I, I I thought that the AI prioritized the strikes if you were better in strength, you know, and the magic if you were better in magic. But it's not perfect, but I, I thought it was a little no. bit tighter than that. Uh, I just played Chapter 7. Uh, you have where you have Fang and Lightning. And because I'm not in control of Lightning, just damage way down because she's Ravager and wants to use spells equally as often. Yeah. Maybe the the spells have more uh, stagger build than the strikes. I don't know, maybe. But back to our progression. Sazvanil, do find hope. He's very downhearted because uh, lightning just abandoned him. Sazvanil attempt to cheer up hope. It doesn't work. He gets all uh, unhappy, very angsty and edgy. And then the game flashes back again.
Hope and his mother are watching fireworks on day 11 in Bodom during the fireworks festival. Hope's mother asks Hope, have you wished for anything with the fireworks? And Hope says, oh, he's too old to be wishing over fireworks. Uh, His mom tells him that she wished that they could see Hope's dad again. And Hope takes offense to that. Hope then narrates that the soldiers would find something in the vestige and would lock down Bodom shortly thereafter. And that he and his mother would never make it back to Palampolum. And that I, I think this is an interesting point because I think this is the first time you get a flashback narration that isn't vanille. Oh, yeah. Huh. I think that's by design. I think every time you see a flashback from somebody's perspective, they narrate it. So following those rules, the current timeline has to be vanille's flashback. Right? Right. Right. I mean, I don't know if that's... I mean, it could be literally anyone's because this is just like Deus Ex fireworks. So we're like ev- literally every player in the story is at these fireworks somehow. Right, right. But it's, this one's Hope telling the story. And I think later on when Lightning tells the story, she she ends up narrating her own flashback. I'll pay attention to that because that's kind of weird. I don't remember that. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it's there. And I think that's another hint that, uh, for plot stuff later. But Hope believes that his father doesn't care about him, but Saz tells him that... Any father cares. Saz then activates a machine and finds a way to get them up a wall. On top of the wall, there's a new weapon for Hope, a Ninurta. It's a balanced weapon that's even between physical and, and magical power. For all the roles that Hope has that physically attack. Which are none. <laughs> Pretty much. The party currently now is Saz, Vanil, and Hope. You still do not have a commando, so the player still runs into the same problem as earlier, but you can build meter a lot faster now with three Ravengers. They come across a warship from Pulse. Saz explains Pulse's attempt to invade Cocoon during the War of Transgression, and Vanille asks a question about it. And Saz replies that the furthest Pulse has ever gotten into Cocoon was the Outer Rim. And Saz remarks that Vanille uh, slept through history class. Around this area, the player fights against uh, Incubi and Succubi. Uh, there are these dancing, like one-footed dancing bird-like things that you'll come to really, really hate. The Incubi are not too much of a problem, but the Succubi buff them, and they can be very deadly because they attack uh, very frequently. They do so much damage after the buff. They do a lot of damage. It is out of control. Yeah, they're, they're very much glass cannon-type enemies. Luckily, the the succubi in particular don't have too much health, and they can be defeated before they get any buffs on. But this is an enemy duo or trio setup you'll see a lot where you'll have a fragile enemy in the back that's buffing, and then two physical attackers that will mess you up if you let them get buffed. Yeah, and they also, these ones in particular, they you don't know what the composition is before you go into it, because often you see, like, one or none of them, and the rest drop down from off-screen. Yeah, and they, they, they're just different palette swaps. You don't know which one is which, at least at first, and then once you figure it out, you have to make sure you attack the right one. And, yeah. and the names are similar, too. At this point, uh, Lightning arrives again. Uh, she doesn't want to talk with anyone, and the party keeps moving forward, and the composition changes to now Saz, Lightning, and Vanille. So a little later on, we encounter a boss battle called the Dreadnought, a big machine, a big mecha. The first stage isn't too tough. If the player can debuff it, maybe even put on some of uh, Zaz's offensive buffs, the player can finish it in one stagger burst, one chain gauge. It uses Steam Clean, which has a long charge time, but removes all of its debuffs gradually. The second stage is a bit harder, though. 
yeah, the boss crashes the floor and then you fall down and then continue the fight again. And I, I think the boss has an AOE of attack. I, I died here in the second round the first time I played it on this playthrough because if you're not at full health, you're likely to get one shot by the big AOE if you're not completely healed up. Is that the flamethrower? Yeah, I think so. I, I can't remember the attack name. Was it like like that like a cannonball thing or that like? Oh more? yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. That sounds that sounds more familiar. You fight this thing a lot in uh, Lightning Returns, yeah. and it just absolutely obliterates you. Right, and if you if you die in part two, you have to fight part one again. It doesn't okay. give you the opportunity to continue or to retry from the halfway point. I don't think that's a great idea, considering that it's really not a a big deal whether or not you've taken any damage in part one. No. No, not really. So after the battle, the player is given another shop. This time it's the Omni Kit, which introduces equipment upgrading. Weapons and equipment are upgraded by turning components into experience. Organic components are low in experience, but create multipliers up to three times the value. In organic materials, like gadgets and that, they have high experience values, but they also... Um, when you use them, that degrades experience bonus. The optimal strategy is to create a high bonus multiplier, then spend your largest pool of XP in one go. Yeah, get get ready to be very familiar with uh, sturdy bones and fiber optic cable. I've mm-hmm. already gotten used to it. <laughs> anyway, uh, upgrades will cap out at a certain point, but then they can be transformed into a new improved weapon that can level up some more. You use special, like... Uh, upgrade items when that time comes and you basically class up the weapon it's like magicite or something it, it, it's got a little rock icon they give you one of these so early like i'm dumping all of my resources into just the uh lightning's gladius so like at this point i'm like already, already level 15 on it and just blitz will wipe out whole groups of enemies but you have even with that and like even like at this point like we're we're playing ahead i'm at chapter seven you have had this Millerite for like 15 hours and probably won't use it for like another five. Right. I think it's like level 20 or 25 or something. When it's not 20 because I got to 22 and I just, how long does this go on? I guess maybe 25 or 30. There's a conversation after battle. Hope is taking a shine to lightning, but she seems uninterested. They sit down, feeling hopeless, lightning gestures towards Eden, Sanctum's capital floating in the sky. Cocoon's sustainer and guiding light. Lightning blames Eden for the purge and wants to destroy Eden, but the others say that'll also destroy Cocoon. Uh, She dispenses some more generic philosophy that seems to inspire hope. Eden is uh, the one Fauci that does speak to humans that uh, we talked about it at length in the previous episode. Every once in a while, pull rank on the human government if there's a big enough political crisis. The Lightning walks away with her new goal to get to and destroy Eden. Hope follows along. Vanille and Saz don't know it, but Lightning was trying to reach out to them at the time. Hope comes with Lightning, but is reluctant to let him come along. He's still uh, green and is no soldier, and they are ambushed by Psycom. Lightning can learn launch now. Uh, best ability in the game. Yes. Uh, very important. Com- yeah, for real. It's so good. Yeah. Fundamental. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh, yeah. So uh, Hope also gets a bunch of Ravager roll abilities, which we don't care about because it's just, hey, here's some new particle effects when I do a different kind of damage. But back to launch, right? So you stagger an enemy, uh, lightning runs up, uses launch, sends them into the air. 
each hit that the enemy takes while they're in the air juggles them in the air like Devil May Cry gun style. It's very satisfying. It's a lot of fun to min-max. Uh, there are some very big enemies that it doesn't work on, and I don't think it works on flying enemies either. No. But throughout the course of the game, you just mitigate a ton of damage by timing this out right. Definitely. Yeah, it's a high point in this game's combat. Oh, it's so good. It's my favorite thing about this. Although, when other characters do it, it doesn't look as cool. Like, I, I think... When- oh, I disagree i like the i like when you punch a, a soldier up into the air snow jumps up and kicks him in the face and then so hard that he vaporizes i, I mean it's funny it's very but it, goofy like, it, it, yeah it looks <laughs> when when snow's in the air it looks really goofy but when, when he launches it's, it, it's so goofy <laughs> all right so we continue down the corridor we fight some dudes and uh then we find hope locates another dreadnought tries to pilot it and we have this uh really off and slip there. We have this really short uh, mini game, which I am not a fan of, where we just use the mech to run through like dozens of enemies. It has like two attacks, which is I don't know, dude. You just run the guys over. Yeah. Uh, if you kill all of the dudes on the field at the end, you'll get the best prize of a thunder ring, which is an accessory you will probably never use. Well, with those elemental resistance rings. In some battles where you're fighting like a super boss or something, you might use them. You might put them on your characters so they can like mitigate a lot of damage. Yeah, there there are moments where they'll give it to you right before there's a boss that has an attack that has that, but you would have no idea to predict it unless you're looking ahead or if you have to retry a battle, you might throw yeah, it on a character. Very true. I think all of this, like uh, all of the elemental buffs like so the elemental nullifier buffs that saz gets and these elemental accessories are just a little bit fiddly for me because i generally just go with generic optimize for offense because now that you have launch right the thing i always want to do is just launch them up and then just annihilate these dudes as fast as possible and then my resistances don't really become a factor at all right and you also with the with the passive combo skills later on you know you don't want to be mucking around too much with yeah. your accessories plus also like right now you have characters like hope and Vanille and hope and Vanille being you know mages they don't have a whole lot of health and so i usually have like an iron bangle or whatever the silver bangle whatever the best hp increasing item is because it, or at this point it's boosting your hp by 25 30 percent like a pretty significant amount yeah hope has like no hp almost the whole game so after our minigame, Hope uh, predictably crashes the mech, uh, falls off a cliff inside of a giant robot with no seat belt, and yet again, just characters falling from incredible heights and are fine. A little farther down the road, while crossing a bridge, Hope trips, and uh, this is li- this is lightning's breaking point, not when he drove the mech off the cliff. She's having enough trouble looking out for herself, let alone a, quote, helpless kid, and uh, as she's chewing Hope out, a force inside her awakens, uh, Lightning's Eidolon, I don't remember how this is pronounced, Eidolon, Odin manifests and attacks Hope. Lightning comes to his defense and we start an Eidolon battle. This is our second Eidolon battle, and this one is uh, harder than the Shiva sisters 
by a significant margin. Uh, it is so hard. Yeah, yeah, no. The margin on this is so thin, dude. Yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned this with the Shiva sisters, but I always find that I'm within the last, like, 300 you know, ticking points of the of the doom. And this one was razor, razor thin for me. Odin has two modes. He's he has an aggressive mode where he dishes out relentless damage and a defensive mode that he's in for five seconds. <laughs> right. Yeah. So during this fight, Hope's defensive buffs are essential, but also you need to use lightning's medic role because you probably won't see this unless you Libra Libra scope or check the data log afterwards. But Odin's uh, Gestalt gauge increases from both attacking and healing. So you need to, you know, because the problem with a lot of these fights is you have Doom on, you have a ticking clock, and you know that you have to sort of rush as fast as possible. And you don't want to stop the heal because you think, oh, you attack and attacking is really the only way to do it. But now this is one of those battles where you have to do both. And for, for me, what ended up happening was Hope ended up getting really pummeled by Odin and I was so close to finishing the fight that he got knocked out, and I'm like, I just let him die and finish the fight off with lightning. Yeah. Well, Phoenix Down gives you some uh, good gauge increase, which is what I wound up doing, is just let him get murdered a bunch, because I have no use for these Phoenix Downs generally. Uh, like, I had the Doctor's Coat on lightning, and what that does is it makes, like, whoever has it equipped, if they use a potion, they heal for double amount so that really turned the tide for me i think i beat him with like 500 doom ticks on the clock and i don't think that would have happened if i had not had that doctor's code on that doctor's code is really strong in the early game yeah like potions and doctor's code are so useful early on yeah the potions fall off real fast as i i will mention in a later chapter when i tried to use them and just end up getting wrecked because i couldn't heal fast enough well it's because you have to navigate the menu, and the game runs way too fast to manually navigate the menu most of the time. Oh, it was a battle where there was no medic. That's because <laughs> you're, you're supposed to finish it before. We'll, we'll get there. This is a chapter, okay. I think, chapter seven thing. Okay. After the battle, Lightning changes her mind about hope, and she says, we'll toughen you up. And this starts a two or three chapter character arc here. Yeah, you know, there's like this stereotype that a lot of like haters of Final Fantasy thirteen have for Lightning that she's just a jerk and she just hates things, but she actually shows her gentle side surprisingly often. The thing about her characterization is most of the nuance only ends up in the data logs and in the chapter descriptions, because there are parts where they'll say, oh, this character feels this way, but there's no way you could tell just looking at the scenes as they play out you can't really tell those emotions. They're either too subtle or they're not really written in there. So like, if you were to pay attention to those parts of the narrative, you could see the arc make more sense. Yeah. But yeah, this is, this is like the first part where you start to see the, the facade of toughness start to fade a little bit. This is also the only time it works because even in general, the game is overwritten and overacted and all of your characters still somehow come across as robots. Yeah, they, it happens. It happens too fast. Yeah. Next episode, we'll see. I'll have a lot to say about that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that stuff's very good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pacing, man. After the Odin battle, there is a Psycom ambush. And this is your tutorial for Gestalt mode because... The first Eidolon fight you had, uh, you didn't get to use your summons. So this is the introduction to the summon system. It costs three TP to trigger it. 
So in essence, it can only be used once in a battle, and it's only available for the character you are currently controlling. Which is a bummer, because I definitely wanted that. Well, they, they really should have just given you the option to swap between your current party. Fucking tell me about it. How much CP do you spend learning Quake? You spend like 2,000 CP in one chapter across a bunch of characters in Roll just learning Quake. Yeah, Quake. I, I, I don't think I ever used Quake. I don't use nope. Adolans very often. I forget they're there. I think I used Quake once or twice. I used Quake one time, and I was like, wow, that was garbage, and never used it again. Uh, I wound up using the Eidolans a decent amount this time, because there's just like, particularly in an upcoming chapter, there's just a lot of encounters. I'm like, I don't I don't want to deal with this right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I mean, you charge your TP fast enough that you can use them pretty frequently, but you don't want to be using them every, you can't use them every battle. No, no you, can use, you can use them like once every four, as long as you get a decent battle rating. Right, right. When you summon, the Eidolon shows up, and the Eidolon and the character fight side by side. The other characters just disappear for a little bit. There are two purple meters, a gestalt meter, and a drive meter. One of them is a mix of the Eidolon's health and a timer. It ticks down over time, but it also ticks faster when the Eidolon takes damage. And when it hits zero, the Eidolon gets dismissed. Or, before that happens, you can trigger Gestalt mode, a.k.a. the I am a vehicle now mode. (laughs) And you go into a second form. That second meter, the Gestalt meter, builds as you string attacks and allows you more moves in the Gestalt mode. So you, what you want to do is wait to the last possible second to, to pop Gestalt mode so you have as many actions as possible. So in that mode, you have a discrete number of moves and a bunch of button prompts, which also list the costs of each move. And nobody uses those. <laughs> no, because what you can do is you can mash X to auto-pick the moves instead of picking them individually. Except be careful and do not hit the triangle button too soon, because the triangle button is the finishing super move that costs all of your remaining moves, then it ends the summon completely. So if you hit that prematurely, you basically screwed yourself out of a significant amount of damage. And that's something I did in a later chapter and had to restart a fight because of it. Uh, I want to say right now, Odin is the, if I'm recalling, because I haven't seen all the rest of them, but... If I recall, Odin is the only one of these that looks good at all. All the rest of them are very goofy. Right, because Odin's just a, a horse. Although it's it's funny how it like twists at the waist and whatever. The, the transformation's kind of goofy, but it's still it's it's decent. Yeah. Also, it makes it may, you don't realize how goofy like Odin being a horse is until later when every other single one is a vehicle. And you realize that they just have an incredibly loose definition of vehicle so that a horse fits into it. Oh, yeah. There's there's one. Well, I, I don't think that's the weirdest one. I think Alexander's the weirdest one. I, ha- I haven't gotten that one yet. Yeah, that one. I don't get what that is. <laughs> I think it's a siege engine. So after the battle, Lightning and Hope find a place to rest. And while Hope is asleep, he calls out for his mother and uh, Lightning cracks a little smile and says he's still a kid.
Meanwhile, back at Vile Peak Scrap Processing, Zaz and Vanille are on their own again. The theme that plays here is pretty good. It's a nice jazz theme with the killer piano riff. Yeah, it's pretty good. This is the first time that the player encounters bombs. Bombs aren't too problematic by themselves, but they can be troublesome if encountered in groups. Their elemental area attacks, they not only hurt the heroes, but also heal themselves. More so, before long, they will prep up a self-destruct move that deals major damage and can often be the game over of a player. I have no idea how to deal with these things, and I googled it, and the answer was kill them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, I got killed a couple of times by these things, because the timing, sometimes you can't do enough damage to kill it before it'll trigger. Yeah. Especially with Zaz and Vanille. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It also becomes problematic, right? Because your AI Ravagers just start using AoE attacks, and then you have, like, three bombs all trying to go off at the same time, and you just might as well just hit the retry button. Uh, oh, we should say Zaz has a new command roll, but in order to get Blitz, the player needs to dish out about 1,300 of his CP. Other than Blitz, there are no nodes of Zaz and Vanille's Crystariums that are must-get. Vanille's Stage 3 Crystarium rolls are all overpriced stat nodes that give little stat bonuses for high cost, over 300 CP each. Dude, Saz's blitz animation is really good. Yeah, he just like shoots a bunch of bullets in like a little arc. It's really nice. Yeah, it's got it's got a really good sound. I think is what I like most about it. A lot of just continuing the theme of good sound effects. Yeah. Later on, like I think uh, during a super boss, Saz's blitz animation is really special and really useful for those bosses. So is his uh, four attack combo. When you get to that, the, the transformation of the guns. Yeah, it turns into like a rifle and he fires it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's real silly, but it's fun. So, Saz and Vanille travel through the scrap processing plant, and there are a few areas that are inaccessible. Uh, you have to come back to these inaccessible places after activating the power nearby. So, it's like this giant donut with a ton of combat everywhere in just four terminals you have to go use. Uh, and if you're me, You forget one, and you have to go around the whole ring multiple times. I was not happy about that. Yeah, I think that happened to me, too. And, like, enemies respawn, I think. It's a pretty long timer. This is one of the few points where you'll likely to be here long enough that you'll see them respawn. Mm -hmm. After exiting scrap processing, Saz and Vanille take a rest. Vanille makes a big deal about sleeping alone. She draws a little line in the dirt. and uh, But during the night, she cuddles up to Saz like a kid. Yeah, it's a little weird scene for me because it looks like for a moment it looks like Saz is trying to approach as if he was going to mac on her which I mean I don't think that was the intent but like that's the whole like oh she's a girl I'm drawing a line you can't cross this line that's what that sounds like (laughs) it it comes off really weird during the scene but later on like having future knowledge it works out because she's uh, using this goof to basically emotionally separate herself from what we will find out she is responsible for. Right, that makes sense. But, like, I don't know, like, if Saz was already thinking, yeah, I guess we're going to have to sleep next to each other to stay warm. Like, there wasn't, like, a setup to that where that wasn't weird or random. Well, look, it's not his fault she doesn't have a coat. (laughs) (laughs) So, before the chapter closes, there is a scene with Snow and Fang on the Lindblom with the Guardian Corps. They meet Sid Rains, the commander of the Wide Area Response Brigade. 
He tells Snow that the lessee will be executed to calm the public and says that the people of Cocoon are growing tired of the threat of Pulse. We flash back to Day 7 in Bodum. Sarah has just broken up with Snow. Snow is confused. Sarah admits that she is a Pulse lessee. Snow collapses dramatically. And when Sarah runs away, Snow, he gets himself together and chases her. When he arrives at the Bodum Beach, the player is given control of Snow. The player can walk around and talk to people, but eventually they find Sarah on the pier. Sarah doesn't know what her focus is, and she believes that's only a matter of time before she turns into a mindless seeth. But Snow vows to protect her. This is an interesting scene because you can talk to a whole lot of people. Uh, you can talk to all the Nora characters, and uh, I think there's a couple of random other NPCs that have things to say. But their dialogue is like five or six levels deep before they start repeating themselves. Really? Why? Yeah, yeah. If you walk around and talk to each character, they have multiple things to say. It's actually it's the only character building you get for Nora, and it's actually not that bad. I mean, this is the part where, say, like, Yuge really says he's into fashion and whatnot. But yeah, they, they put a lot of writing in this. You could also be like me and uh, ruin the emotional impact of the scene by saying, I'm in direct control of snow. Pressing triangle, see that you have like 4,000 CP, but can't <laughs> oh, open your right. crystarium, <laughs> and then get mad and just go to the pier. Right, because your your menu is grayed out because you can't, <sighs> you know, this is, technically this is the past, so you're, you're not able to see, you haven't earned any CP, you, you shouldn't be able CP to upgrade. I got that CP lust, fam. I got the <laughs> CP lust, I want to spend it. It's right there. Yeah, it's right in front of you, but you can't use it have so much so wrapping up the episode does anybody have any closing thoughts on uh chapter four of final fantasy 13 it's a bit probable it's like a bit troublesome but i think it's uh decent you know it's kind of a low point before the game picks up again and gets better about pacing and character compositions and class compositions this is a long chapter and it's broken up sort of in weird, weirdly artificial ways, like a bridge collapsing or or whatnot. And I mean, mechanically, it, it allows you to do interesting things. Although, like I said, they didn't mention that the saboteur role basically is a, is a mini commando. And you kind of need to know that in order to do well at these battles. So the pacing's a little off. The play is pretty good. But I found myself a little frustrated with a few of these encounter types. Yeah, I think this chapter is bad. Right. Like you mentioned, Mm -hmm. the pacing is bad because they need to they have to have a bunch of arbitrary ways to break up and reform your party because they dumped second roles on you. So they need to have you play around with all these different configurations, some of which don't work. But Mm -hmm. the whole the the area is really bland. The music is not very good. Your enemies are either like they're all either glass cannons and you blow through them or super tanky. So, like, imagine this chapter, if you did, at the beginning, they didn't dump two new roles on you, imagine how boring it would be. That's, like, the only saving grace is the mechanical additions in this chapter. Right. It gives you the opportunity to start delving a little deeper. By this time, you've already gotten a sense from chapter three how the basics work, and now they're starting to bring in wrinkles that are more than just Ravager and Commando and Medic. Yeah. This seems like a thing where it was better broken up, and then they said, oh, people aren't engaging with this enough, and this is our tutorial chapter before the game actually really gets going, so we have to chop this up and like force people into weird combinations. Right, and narratively, this is 
Oh, you know what? I don't think we mentioned this part. This is the point where Lightning and Hope pick one goal, which is to destroy Eden. And on the other side, Saz and Vanille don't know what to do, and they're wandering around. They literally say in, in the data log for a later chapter that they are wandering around aimlessly, but they're basically trying to just run away. Yeah, they go to Final Fantasy Vegas later. The Golden Saucer, part two. <laughs> oh, God. The music is just as quote-unquote good. Not a, gold, not a Golden Saucer music fan. Is that everything? Yeah, I think so. All right. Well, again, we don't have any emails because we're recording a bunch in advance before we start. But in the future, you could email the show via contact at lightningstrikesthrice.com or just use the contact form on our website, lightningstrikesthrice.com. And I am running the Twitter, which is at lightxthrice, and the Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash lightxthrice. We'll be posting... Uh, our new episodes there, and also perhaps teasers for other things. Yeah. You can see my work at chrisTaylor.zone. I, uh, at this point, I still have not gotten around to doing anything with it yet, but hopefully I will. Uh, you can listen to my other podcast, Magmar Sucks. Uh, do you guys have anything you want to share with the listeners? Um, I'm still doing that, uh, that Final Fantasy VII Let's Play on YouTube. It's for New Threat, a gameplay mod final fantasy 7 it's a challenge hack and the like let's play i'm trying to edit out a lot of things that final fantasy 7 veterans already know about like story content and just focusing on all the changes that the mod brings and i'm getting a lot of praise for it cool i do have one thing to plug i mentioned back in episode one that i recorded an episode of don't give up skeleton i believe that that is going to drop on march 7th all right look forward to that Well, you've been listening to Lightning Strikes Thrice, a pitch drop podcast. You can support the show by leaving a rating and review on iTunes or by going to our Patreon at patreon.com slash pitchdrop. Be sure to check out pitchdrop.net for more of this and other shows. See you next time.